Hello and welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast, where we connect industry leaders to discuss experiences, challenges and successes in the gaming industry. I'm Adam, your host for today, and I'm joined with Ollie, Matthew and Udo to discuss creativity, inspiration and intellectual theft. How much originality is there in games? So before we jump into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions of who you are and what you do. So uh, Ollie, do you want to kick us off? Yes, so uh, I'm a, a principal writer for Tencent. I've been working uh, in the industry for the past uh, 20 years. So uh, I kind of uh, saw the evolution of the whole thing, uh, you know, and I, I started back when uh, uh, online gaming wasn't even a thing, uh, which which make, makes me feel like a dinosaur at times. <laughs> Nice. Uh, but I'm sure you're not, not at all. Uh, but Matthew, do you want to give us a bit of an overview of yourself? Sure. Um, so I'm Engagement Design Director at Avalanche Studios here in Stockholm, Sweden. Uh, my role is basically a jumped up title for game designer uh, with a focus on meta, progression, retention, basically all the various engagement systems that exist outside of the core moment-to-moment gameplay. And uh, I've been doing this for about 15 years, and I still adore it. I think it's the best job ever, and I tell everyone I can to get into the industry because it's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, love the, uh, the job. You'll never work a day in your life. <laughs> there you go. And uh, last but not least. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm Ido, and I run Stellar Cartography Interactive, a small indie studio in Berlin. Uh, I've been working in games for about 14 years now. Uh, I started as a developer, then I worked also as a producer and as a game designer. Um, most of my career, I've worked in um, in casual and mobile, uh, and in between, made my own indie games. And two years ago, I founded uh, Stellar Cartography, where we're making uh, yeah, uh, yeah, PC console uh, indie games. Yeah, awesome. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. As always, you've each brought a question relevant for discussion around how much originality there is in gaming these days. So as usual, we'll work our way around the room with each of you posing your questions or discussion points and your reasoning behind you. And uh, each of you will have the opportunity to discuss it. But of course, it's an open floor. So please just feel to jump in at any point. But I guess we'll start over with uh, with Ollie. Uh, what's your uh, discussion point and what do you mean by that? So my discussion point was is uh, does innovation make a game successful or does the success of a game create innovation um, it's it's but the reasoning behind that was uh, to ask myself and I don't have the answer uh, about um, what is the perception of innovation how do we define innovation in games right um, and and is innovation uh, always noticed, or can it, you know, uh, uh, still exist and 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 pass completely unnoticed? As far as I'm concerned, um, I see maybe two to three true innovation having happening, uh, having having happened uh, in the past 20 years. Uh, one would be Steam. Uh, the second one would be uh, free to play, and uh, the third one would be, to some extent, uh, the Wii. That would be for me the three main um, overall game changers that happened in the industry that I would define as true innovation. I know what you guys think about it. Yeah, I'm not sure um, what makes for like what marks an innovation is true or not true. I think a lot of the time, uh, like you, when somebody, when you see something as innovative or is particularly innovative, it's quite often because 
you're you're not aware of the giants on whose shoulders it's standing. So you're not you're not aware of the the maybe very similar thing that came just before it or that came five years before it and it was an inspiration for it. Um, and I think a lot of a lot of the times we really we build you know like incrementally step like step by step. In terms of effects on the industry, I definitely think there were bigger impacts than uh, than the three examples you mentioned. Uh, maybe the most obvious would one would be um, the rise of uh, the currently popular smartphones like uh, Android and iOS, uh, which are now you know they are the the main gaming device for for the majority of uh, of people playing games. And I think it got people who were never who never really played games before to play them. Uh, my my mother is 79 years old. She she plays game on games on Android. Um, she, she never did that before phones existed. Uh, I have uh, kids uh, five and seven, and for them, like playing on the iPad is the most sort of like mo- the most natural uh, kind of play environment. And all their friends in school and so on, they also play that. Um, there's something very um, like despite all the disadvantages that it has as a platform, having like the touch screen as your both input and output has something very natural of, of it. Like what is more intuitive than to touch the thing that looks like it needs to be touched, you know, touch the thing that looks like a, like a button. That's a lot more uh, direct than using a controller or using a keyboard and mouse. Uh, and just generally because it's a device that, you know, you almost everybody has in the pockets anyway. Um, yeah, I think that's a big, a big reason why uh, gaming exploded on it and, and via it. So still, I would not say these are the only innovations because for me, when I, when I saw your question, I thought more about uh, game design innovations and your like, mechanical innovations of specific games. And of those, I think we see loads of, even though still like the majority, vast majority of those are you know iteration or mixtures of uh, stuff that other games did before. Um, Still, you know, they, they they bring something that you know a game did 15 years ago, and now it's presented in a little bit of a different way. But it's but it's still innovative for you know all the audience that have never seen that game 15 years ago because it had a theme that didn't they didn't like or whatever reason they was was on the platform that they didn't have. Um, that's still that's still innovation, even if it's if it's resting on something uh, something similar that was done some years ago. But uh, I I look quite closely. Um, at games, uh, as a, even at like research, you know, I try to play a lot of games, um, mainly on Steam because that's the that's the um, the platform that I'm targeting with my own studio. And I remember what a lot of people think of like the sort of like the golden age of indie games when we started, you know, the current like the, the current ongoing boom uh, of like you know like uh, like Braid and uh, Fez and so on. This was like late aughts, early tens. Uh, like in 2009, we'd get like three amazing indie games, and we'd see like, oh, that's like a real bumpy year for indie games. Uh, in you know, October 2023, there are probably more than three amazing indie games released this month alone on Steam alone, and like we we don't even really think of them that much just because there's so many of them coming on. Like I'm sure that there are like 20 times more interesting, innovative indie games coming out uh, in 2023 than in 2008. Uh, but yeah, we just we just have so many of them. Yeah, I have to jump onto that because I think in terms of the amount of games that are released year on year on Steam alone, I think uh, if we go back 10 years, it was a few hundred, a couple thousand moving into the early uh, tens uh, being released on Steam. I believe uh, last year alone was uh, just over 10,500 uh, games released on Steam, which is just insane in terms of the rate of uh, you know releases going out there. Um, but, uh, Matthew, can we get some uh, thoughts from your side of things on uh, sure. uh, innovation? Well, it, it sounds like you're asking two questions. One is like, how do you define innovation in games? And then the follow-up to that question is more uh, on the like the topic of uh, is innovation a driver of success or is success a driver of innovation? Like this is a successful game, create innovation. So uh, for, first, I'll go with the classic innovation is something new. Like, you know, you have not seen this thing quite before. And uh, then I'll just follow that by saying, objectively, 
the answer to your question is very much that success drives innovation because I'm sure that all of us have little darlings that we played that did something new and then never went anywhere. And like there are so many innovative titles that languish in the dustbin of history and didn't find success despite being something new. Uh, yeah, I, real quick, have you seen play Gunpoint? I have no. not. <laughs> I've heard I've heard about it, but I haven't played it. It's a great little stealth two D side scroller with a very innovative um, hacking mechanic, as well as like an innovative like structure and, and narrative setup. Like together, these various pieces combine to make it feel very fresh. Uh, but it, you know, it didn't set the world on fire, and most people haven't heard of it. But I highly recommend it. Find it on Steam. It's a ton of fun to play. Very quick, very fun. But my point is like that's just one of many, many, many examples of games that just got lost, uh, and. It, to that, and I'll also point out something like Blizzard, for instance. Blizzard built an empire on polish and perfection, not on innovation. Yeah, we, Warcraft was great, but then it was based on Dune 2. Diablo is amazing, but it's based on things like Secret of Mana. You can see it like you know, World of Warcraft on EverQuest, Ultima Online. You can see it every step of the way. They took it and innovated on it. Like, like they took innovation and then built on it and polished it and made it really accessible. And, and I think that's honestly the best way to approach game development in general, because at the end of the day, uh, some of the best games are sequels. Games are not like movies for that reason. Like the games are a, a constant iterative process, whether that's within development or from game to game in a franchise. I mean, tell me truthfully, have you ever in your careers worked on a game that was the same at the end of development as it was when it was initially pitched? Like it always like grows and changes iteratively. And through the history of games, I think in terms, not just video games, but humanity, we're constantly doing that too. Like chess has its roots in Nefetafel, which is I think an ancient Viking game that's kind of similar. Like we, we've, we've constantly been innovating on making things more and more fun. And the most successful ones will then breed more and more success and innovation. Also, uh, some really good points there. Uh, I have to say on your side of things, Matthew. Um, but I guess uh, a follow-up question I'm going to pose to you all, really, um, is uh, what would you say is the most innovative title uh, that you've come across or played? I, I, I can answer something that uh, would kind of illustrate my previous points, that a lot of the time, the biggest innovation is the one where you don't know their inspiration. Um, and for me, that was the original Desktop Dungeons. Uh, it had like a couple of uh, remakes uh, since then. And Desktop Dungeons is like, if you don't know it, it's uh, kind of like a, a dungeon hack and slash puzzle game um, where you have your little uh, um, like adventure figurine and it moves around uh, a static uh, grid level. And as you, as you move around the level, you uncover these tiles and the tiles that you uncover, uh, I'm like uh, removing this fog of war is the thing that heals you. So you're using like uh, exploration as uh, as a resource, or like the more you the the more you've already explored the levels, the less options you have for healing your character, which I thought was really really innovative, and and it is, and it it plays you know like completely differently than any dungeon crawling game out there. Um, and now I have to. Uh, Consult Wikipedia for a moment because I'm pretty sure the 2005 uh, IDF winner. Uh, uh, let me tell you for a moment what's it called. Um, was a game that actually had exactly this mechanic, but with a different theme. Um, hold on, the I think it was 2005. Um, okay. I cannot, cannot easily find it. May not have been stolen, but uh, anyway, it was uh, it was kind of like um, like an ancient Egypt uh, themed puzzle game where it had exactly this uh, this this mechanic. It had like a like a an, an, uh, a map of an ancient empire, and it was shrouded in the fog of war. And every time you moved and uncovered this fog of war, it, it I think it recharged your mana or something like that. I don't remember. I played it a long time ago, but it was basically exactly this this this. This mechanic, which I thought was super innovative in desktop dungeons, and later on when I I read the interviews on the internet with the with the developer, uh, he said, "Yeah, I was inspired by this game that came out five years earlier, but it was a fairly obscure game that I did not know before." Yeah, Oasis, exactly. Thanks, Matthew. Sure. Uh, I guess we'll we'll jump over to uh, to Oli. Where what would you say is the most innovative title you've come across? Oh, good, uh, Mr. Amadeth. Uh, I must be quite conservative. I, I, I guess um, I've found innovative elements in uh, my 
most played and, and favorite games, right? Uh, but if I had to um, remember one for striking me as as innovative, and when I when I mean when I say innovative, I mean kind of bold. That would have been PUBG. Yeah, because no, because I, I of because of the highly improbable proposition it would make, and 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 the the success it it it. it uh, it had. Can you repeat which game was that? I didn't get it. Uh, um, uh, Player Unknown's uh, Battlegrounds. Oh, PUBG. PUBG. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Solid choice of game. And uh, yeah, I think that was based off it as the uh, the Japanese film uh, Battle Royale. I think yes. uh, was the name of it. It's a very good film. If anyone's not seen. And it was. It was already. <laughs> it was already uh, uh, the refined version of. Uh, a pre-existing game from the same creator, right? Uh, it still, at least it was his, and and um, and yeah, the the and the way actually, you know, it impacted the the, the rest of the industry uh, uh, for quite some time. Um, was yeah, I, I, I guess that that's uh, one of the, the the games that really strike me as as innovative. It is um, <laughs> in the way it, it basically. Um, redefine a genre a game genre yeah absolutely i think we went through a couple of years ago where virtually every uh, new triple a game was a, uh, a battle royale for a time as uh, so also definitely redefined uh, the industry for a time but uh last but not least uh, matthew where what, what would uh, you say is the most innovative title in your opinion well, your question is a cruel one. It's just as bad as saying what's your favorite I know, game of all time. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I'll I'll answer it by saying sorry and say that uh, it's definitely changed over time. Like I think uh, a curse of you know playing so many games over a long career and like, a long lifetime is that the joy and the memory of what you experienced as innovative at the time fades. Like I, you know, Zelda blew my mind as a kid. Super Metroid and so on. Like it, like I remember Link to the Past with the Triforce flying in on Super NES, which is like mind-blowing compared to the NES. Uh, so instead, I'll zip ahead to something that really impressed me in recent times, in the last few years, and that was Vampire Survivors. It's very rare, especially with like the, the explosion of design uh, methodology and iteration from mobile games, to find something that's just so fresh and new, and especially so simple, too. Like This isn't relying on super high-end technology. It's a real simple mechanic, but it was very clearly a new thing. And man, that was just like a nice breath of fresh air and just a delightful reminder of just how much more there is to explore in this industry of ours. Yeah, like a, 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 a be the bullet hell, like a whole like reverse bullet hell sort of setup. Great. Yeah, no, I've, I've not come across uh, Vampire Survivors, uh, so I've just oh, checked it out. Check it out. Yeah, it's uh, overwhelmingly positive. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and it's worth uh, it too, especially for the price. Yeah. Oh, oh wow. Yeah, that is cheap. <laughs> nice. It's been, it's been uh, since it came out. It has been cloned. Um, oh yeah. It's, it's such an overwhelmingly <laughs> overwhelming speed. Uh, I think mm. every, I think because since so Flappy Bird. Yeah, since Flappy Bird, we have not seen a game being cloned, uh, you know, so rigorously and uh, and quickly. Absolutely, but I've got to jump in with uh, with my two cents, and I couldn't decide quite on innovative titles, uh, but I had to uh, go with um, in in the end, Halo Combat Evolved, because um, uh, of course that helped redefine the FPS genre, and then in turn the sequel, like you mentioned before, innovating uh, and, and refining that became Xbox Live essentially, or uh, helped push that forward. Uh, as well but uh, is there any final points anyone wants to make uh, on ollie's question at all before we move on i um i had a bit <laughs> i'm not sure if that was a cat or a chicken because the video quality is so <laughs> <laughs> cat uh, yeah um it, it would have been funnier if it was a chicken uh, <laughs> for those i'm uh, wondering I, uh, <laughs> a cat walks in front uh, of I, 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 I wanted to to if, if it's okay to uh, piggyback for uh five minutes on uh matthew's answer of vampire survivors and how it was a, fresh, uh, a breath of fresh air on mobile and that we see that stuff uh so rarely because this kind of this is very um very closely tracks our topic and you know uh, before i uh, started my own studio i've worked um for a mobile publisher uh, that mostly publishes hyper-casual games. And so I've, I've, I've seen how that sausage is made from, you know, from within, and I've heard uh, you know, um, other figurative sausage factories uh, work very similarly from friends of mine who worked in other uh, hyper-casual um, mobile publishers. And 
maybe it had maybe it didn't start this year, but but these days, and by these days I mean like definitely for like the last five years, um, the process is there's a trend. There's been a really successful game. Let's fast follow on it. Uh, and you know, by definition, this is not going to give you something uh, very innovative or fresh because you know, like the it's kind of like the the business way of looking at things is always like, oh, let's look at something that succeeded in the past and let's do the same thing. Uh, that, whereas, you know, innovation is looking forward and looking like, oh, let's do something completely new that, that you know, nobody has done before. Um, so it's very unsurprising that um, that when something new comes on, it's, it's a breath of fresh air because the, the usual modus operandi of, um, of uh, at least hyper-casual publishers and I think also other mobile publishers is... Uh, you know, there's this tried and tested thing, game. We already know it makes a million bucks a day. Uh, let's let's do let's do more of this. Nice, and uh, I appreciate the uh, the uh, final comments there as well to, to jump on uh, Ollie's point. Uh, but I guess we'll move over to uh, to Sir Matthew, your discussion point. Sure thing. So uh, mine has to deal with. Uh, like, it, like this is actually, I think, pretty fun topic. Uh, plagiarism. So, especially in games, let's say that you know, set aside shameless carbon copies, ones where it's just like it's very obviously like a point-for-point point remake or even stealing content just straight up. Like, there's examples of that. I'm not talking about those. My question and my my discussion point is more around the idea that because games are not just any one thing, but they're the collections of many different experiences. There are narrative gameplay mechanics, balancing even. So it's just that there are these gestalts that are formed out of all these various experiences. Again, setting aside shameless plagiarism and carbon copies, can you really say you've copied a game? Like, can you say that you plagiarized something without it being obvious, you know, one-to-one control C, control V? And if so, then how many of those experiential boxes do you need to tick for that to occur? Just how much do you need to ape from another person and their their product before you can say like, oh my god, what a carbon copy? I, I have a couple of things to say about that. Um, so I think there are, there are two um, I would say two tests that I would uh, use for that. Um, one of them is is there one specific game where again and again you say like you come across a problem with your design and say like oh. How did uh, Metal Gear Solid solve it? Uh, and then, okay, so I'll do that. And if you, if you like, if literally every problem you come across, you said, oh, how Metal, how did this game, this one specific game, did it? And it's the same game all the time. And then you just do what they did. Uh, like that's that's one little be one strike against it being uh, plagiarism rather than you know I'm a fan of Metal Gear Solid and I want to make like my own game that's like that, but it's still my game. Uh, and the other point, which is um, hard to impossible to tell from the outside, is that of intention. Uh, is it a cynical intention of saying like, oh, I see this game uh, did really well. Uh, I know I'm capable of copying it. Um, I'll, I'm, maybe I'll make some bucks doing that. Uh, so let's do it. Or like, oh, I'm, I'm a really big fan of this game. I've been playing it for 500 hours. I really want to make, you know, like my version of this, which is you know less cynical. Uh, it may still result in a game that's kind of similar to the original game, uh, but at least your you know your intentions are more pure than you know, just a cynical. Uh, let's copy it to, to make a quick buck. I guess it's when you're trying to make a game, you're trying to build something, right? Um, and um, you come across uh, a certain number of problems that you have to solve, and uh, Quite often, I think it's natural to uh, investigate basically how others solve this problem, right? And 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 to pick uh, basically the the solution that best fits uh, your game and the overall experience you want to uh, deliver to the player. So um, I, I've never seen this as as so much so much as plagiarism, but as um, it's a it's what I call a, a, a common grammar, right? You know, and we're trying to form those those different sentences and then write those different experiences. Um, but um, we pretty much be uh, picking things and influences uh, 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 right right and left. Uh, I was thinking the other day of 
how the game director for of uh, Zelda Breath of the, the Wild was uh, intensely playing Far Cry 3 when developing Zelda. And, and you have those towers, you know, in, in, in Zelda that pretty much work the same way as in, in Far Cry 3. Uh, uh, which tow- each towers were actually uh, uh, a system that had been ported by the, the creative director who had somehow invented it for uh, uh, Assassin's Creed. So it's, you know, it's, it's this long chain of things, but those towers actually feel uh, very natural in Zelda. They, they don't feel, they don't scream, you know, they, 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 they don't scream uh, 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 plagiarism or, or, or ripoff uh, uh, um, in, in the game. That's because it is, they're made in such a way that they're congruent with the rest of the experience. And I guess that's that's what really matters at the end of the day. That would be my my view on on, on this. And, and and thank God. I mean thank God we got I know we got Baldur's Gate, which gave us uh, a Sin Divinity and then gave us uh, uh, Baldur's Gate three in the end, right? It's like full circle but hadn't Bioware uh, I developed that game, we would have gotten that beautiful gem that is uh, uh, Baldur's Gate 3. So it's it's all, um, um, thank God we have those previous games to, 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 to draw inspiration from. Absolutely. And uh, Matthew, what, what can your uh, thoughts over the, uh, the points uh, Oli Anidos have raised? I think that's that's the beautiful thing about games, really, is that like it is ultimately about uh, saying that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Unless you're being cynical about it, like you, you really point out there, then it's ultimately to the betterment of your product to look at the competitors and to take from them the best aspects of them. I think one of the things that was brought up as a major negative aspect of Anthem's development is that they refuse to look at similar titles. They say, like, we're not going to look at Destiny at all. And, you know, that, like, I, I think I, I, there are many issues with the development of that game has been, has been documented. But I think that's a major aspect of it, of, like, why you have a bad design is, like, you had to reinvent the wheel. Uh, the games industry, uh, like if you compare games being made today, even retro-inspired ones like Shovel Knight to games that came out in the 80s, they're vastly superior, not because we have better designers now or even better technology, but because we have a stable foundation to learn from. It, it, like, you know, uh, what was it, Einstein or something? He says, I stand on the shoulders of giants. And we stand on the shoulders of giants. Mm-hmm. We, we would not be making amazing games today if they did not make amazing games back then. No, that's, that's, a, that's a solid yeah. point. And go on, Ali, please. Also, it's true. From, yeah, I mean, quite often, uh, uh, you even have to uh, compare your game to something uh, uh, already existing to, to, to define it or to sell it. I mean, uh, um, the creators of Valheim said that it was... It was uh, uh, usually influenced by both uh, Minecraft and was it? Um, uh, I think it was Skyrim. So yes. yeah, yeah, it's it's they did their definition of the game was actually uh, Minecraft meets Skyrim, and 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 when someone tells you something like that, you're like, okay, I'm intrigued, right? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, it, I would say that. Uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to just uh, piggyback a little bit and say, like in the, the film industry, you're like from the director of, and then it's they got these major titles to make you think of that when you uh, see this uh, trailer or poster. Uh, but yeah, go on. Sorry, Matthew. Yeah, well, I would just say that like this, this is a beautiful thing about games. And this is something that I, I feel like really flies in the face of a lot of like the Hollywood wisdom of creatives and things like I have to come up with a vision. And it's not that. The best vision is one that where you... Uh, are completely aware of and accepting the fact that you are inspired by others. That, like, I'm sure that we've all seen game development processes that fall apart under the desire to just innovate for the sake of innovation. 
where, where like you know we have to reinvent the wheel on every single thing even the damn menus and that like that's such a curse uh, like th this is why like so many times like you're advised when you're developing it's just like pick one thing like you know your, your usb unique selling point that's not just you know uh sad snidely whiplash capitalist monster talk for mobile game development that's a really good piece of advice for any sort of game development is like find your unique selling point and then just learn and build on the inspirations that have come before i think too often we you know conflate the desire to be uh an innovative free spirit with uh, some sort of like you know calling that you must be creative at all costs which in itself is self-defeating not to mention that i was talking about a grammar uh, um earlier but it agrees to me that it actually a shared grammar we're sharing that grammar with the audience with the players it's not just ours right uh they 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 they, they perfectly uh uh they have a deep understanding of it as well so uh um so it makes only sense that uh we also rely on 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 things uh that allow us to communicate with them through uh a, a, a given uh, uh, project game. But that's a great point. Yeah, we grandfather so many expectations in. Uh, I mean, generally speaking, if I want to go back in a menu in a controller, my thumb is going to twitch towards the far right. If I want to jump, I usually try to go for the bottom button there. Like that, that sort of uh, shared knowledge uh, base is something to be praised and leaned into rather than just thrown away because it's something everyone's done before. Like uh, getting yeah. rid of the uh, the start button <laughs> with the PlayStation. Now it's options. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'll always be start to me. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to think like where the border lies between genre convention and um, and and copying. Because like if you make a game today, you know, like a side side scroller platform where you jump, and if you jump on the head of the enemy, you 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 kill them. We're probably not going to call you a Mario or a clone unless like it's really. It looks like it's really like uh, like flagrant Mario, a clone, literally a clone of Mario. Let's just say that it's a it's a jump and run uh, platformer. Um, and you know, I can I remember like when when Doom was new, uh, all games like it was were called Doom clones. And you know, nobody calls this Doom clones now. We call it FPS because it's created the genre, and now it's just genre convention. That, that that's how you you do a first person shooter game. We, we, yeah, we and call, Doom itself we, we was we a fellow from Wolfenstein. We called them Doom-like for, for a long period of time. They were Doom-like and they were Quake-like, I remember. So yeah. it was it was an easy way, you know, to categorize uh, a, a, a game. Yeah, but nobody since the 90s have called them that, right? Hmm? Nobody since the 90s have called them that. No. And then now, now, we, now we have genre names for them. Then it evolved to, to FPS indeed, yes. Yeah. I reckon we should have a revert back to uh, the old names games were called like that as well. <laughs> Teach people where, where things came you have, from. You, you, you have Zelda-like now. Yeah, but those, it, those, it, those, those like, are new nothing like Vogue. Yes, and, and granted, granted that's, that's, this was, uh, um, I think, a term terms that were coined by game journalists rather than game developers. I'm not sure, you know, it's, it's like the the, uh, the 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 egg and the chicken. I'm not sure who called them the uh, who who called them this uh, first, but 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 indeed this 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 was used to to um, to make conversation about games easier. Absolutely, mainly. Yeah, and, and I guess that also helps with the uh, the selling of games as well. If you can easily describe uh, what it is uh, by maybe relating it to another title, then it makes it a bit easier uh, to sell. So a bit of a marketing ploy there as well. Um, but just before we uh, we head over more towards uh, to Ido's point, uh, Matthew, is there any uh, closing points you want to make there, or any extra comments? Uh, it would just be like, uh, honestly, uh, the best piece of advice I can give to any game designer to get better is to play a lot of games. And it's it's part of the reason is because of this is to have that shared language of experiences and to know, learn about the best things to take from the best places. So just you know, be a better designer, play everything. So if you uh, get caught playing on uh, on games during uh, you know working hours, you say it's market research. That, I'm making that a better is game. research. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look the you know that that Kardashian game that came out of mobile. That's actually a really well made game, and you won't know it if you don't play it. Yes, it's Kardashian, but like that in itself is not a reason not to you know realize that it is an extremely well-made lifestyle simulator building on the backs of games like Stardom. 
Uh, uh, that's a free sales pitch there for the uh, the Kardashians game. <laughs> um, I it it's made hundreds of millions. Oh, <laughs> I won't fault it at all then. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't. Do you mind giving us your point? Because I know we kind of discussed it briefly, I think, uh, before. Yeah, I, I, uh, I kind of let it let it slip uh, about 15 minutes ago. <laughs> um, so um, my question was, um, you know, fast it, does fast follow culture discourage innovation? And um, as, I, as I mentioned, like 15 or 20 minutes ago, this comes from from having worked at, uh, at, at at some mobile publishers in my uh, in my career in the past, uh, and having seen um, you know just how much uh, from from the top the, the the demands come from fast follow of like oh look this uh, there's this new hit thing uh, let's let's quickly do uh, something like that while it's still trending um, so so that we can also we can also have success. Um, and yeah, and this is in, in some, you know, some parts of the industry, this is, this is quite common. And I think, uh, this is a big part of why, um, why hyper casual is kind of dying or has went, uh, went, went down a lot in the last couple of years. And you know, now they're being shifting into those like, uh, uh, hybrid casual um, for this sort of reason because this this is this is what one of those uh, like subgenres that were very very uh, very very deep into you know uh, fast follow uh, look at the trends copy what's successful and you know like and and release it I don't know within like a week or something. Well, what you want is to actually define the trend. Yeah, that, that that's I, that's I guess uh, uh, would be what would define part of innovation that's when you 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 make the trend yeah when, when you're the one who defines what who are making this new new genre yeah. um i was trying to find uh an an article by uh, daniel cook about exactly this and uh unfortunately i could not uh i could not google fast enough while we were talking but he mentioned um and I'm paraphrasing from memory of something like something I read like half a year ago, uh, so it's probably not accurate. That there were uh, multiple ways uh, or multiple levels of innovation in games, uh, with you know the, the highest being like really like blue ocean. You know, you start starting from scratch and trying to do something nobody ever done before, building a whole new core, and uh, below that being um, synthesis of you know taking, uh, I don't know, three different genres or three different games and trying to mash them together and see like what, what's going on. Uh, you know, like take the, the open world of uh, the last Zelda and mash it with uh, an automation game and see, you know, what happens. Maybe it's going to be something wonderful and, in and innovative. Um, and below that, or above it, I don't remember the exact order was, uh, take something really good and then change it, make a little twist, you know, like it's a... Uh, it's uh, whatever. It's like um, I don't know. It's a, like StarCraft, but instead of fighting, you are uh, I don't know uh, merging uh, yeah, your units with the enemy's units. Um, and and of course the lowest the, the lowest level will be like oh I I love this game and I want to make a game just like it, and like that's being your basis. Uh, and I'm sure I'm sure Daniel made a, a much more uh, nuanced and better point than me. Uh, but that that was like the the, the I have remembered uh, paraphrasing of of the article that I read about half a year ago. Because I'll uh, throw it over to uh, to either Matthew or Ollie though, and, you know, ask your kind of thoughts around you know fast follow uh, culture. Is it uh, discouraging innovation? I mean, you, you probably already can guess my answer for this one, which is no, it's not because it depends on how it's done. At the end of the day, innovation is dangerous. If you innovate for the sake of innovation, you actually make a bad product. If you ever manage to make anything at all, the idea of fast follow being a straight up carbon copy with a new coat of paint, like uh, I think like Zynga had one called Dream Heights, which is just a straight up, I think, Tiny Tower copy. Uh, well, that's a deep cut. That's going back like a decade. Sorry, uh, but like th that sort of thing, it doesn't help anyone. It doesn't even help Zynga. It did, like it went nowhere because it was just. Bleh. But that's an extreme case. Most of the time, is what you have for fast follows is something like you know, as Ito was saying, take X plus Y, you know, Starcraft plus merging. Uh, you, you can find examples of so many great games that were made with that quick little razor of just you know, take Ultimate Online set it in the Warcraft world. There's 
nothing wrong with that approach. And in fact, everything right, because that helps the team to focus. Like the One of the major issues you'll find in development is the fact that teams become unfocused. and They keep going in lots of different directions because they don't know what precisely will help to contribute to the bottom line of achieving the vision of the product because that vision yeah. is muddied. And if you have the very clear razor of it's this plus this, and that's it. That's the only difference we're doing. People say like, okay, well, I'll answer all the questions with this. And then as soon as it comes to things that bring in this, that's where we can have our innovations and our tweaks. And it may very well be that those innovations and tweaks are just like art style, for instance, like it's Starcraft, but it's a Western. Okay, well, that, there's three factions and they're all just, you know, Western oriented and done. But I, I guarantee you'll probably go deeper than that as soon as you start working on it, because so much can flow from one little change, even if it's just a thematic or setting based one. So no, I don't think fast file is stifle innovation at all. I believe that constraints breed creativity and being asked to create a fast follow with you know these little constraints in place means that you're going to get a better more creative product in the end i completely agree on the constraints breed innovation there uh, quote it immediately makes me feel uh, think of um you know the old days of cinema right without without sound or it's in like a certain aspect ratio they were forced to do certain things and even the um, the, the yeah. fact it was on film rather than digital right uh, all these constraints forced them to develop new genres and styles uh, which all you know uh, helped create cinema to what we know it today um but is there any any final points uh, anyone wants to make uh, on uh, Ido's point before we move on i agree with the fact that <laughs> uh probably not everyone can afford being innovative it's it's a very risky business uh um and uh um what what we mean uh, i mean what we we mean by innovation in the noblest sense of the term right uh reinventing the wheel basically uh, I think it takes time. Uh, I think it takes so it takes uh, you know money, uh, uh, unless of course uh, uh, it, it really depends on on your structure and 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 the the the, the, the frame into which you are operating. Um, there's also a an underlying you know a question that that we haven't touched and and I guess uh, uh, won't have time to to touch and it's a bit of a sensitive subject but uh, it's about how conservative the audience can be which makes innovation uh, 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 a, a risky business right at the same time I mean, I mean even us you know as 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 professional and gamers uh, uh, we tend to fall back on 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 things games we're comfortable with uh, uh and and it takes actually a lot at least uh, uh, um, for myself uh to get out of my comfort zone in terms of entertainment okay it takes me it takes mm. me uh, uh uh can take me months if not years uh, you know to 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 finally play this game or watch that that movie or tv series that uh, uh some friends took Talk, uh, talk to me about, uh, and and all of a sudden I realize, oh my god, why why didn't I experience this sooner? Why didn't I, uh, uh, you know, uh, interest myself uh, um, to that uh, uh, sooner? But that's that's also how, how we how we made so. Absolutely. And I have to go back to your point there on uh, uh, how conservative the audience can be. Uh, I can't really imagine a big open world game nowadays without fast travel. I can't imagine that going down too well <laughs> in a modern audience. Um, but I do want to just point out as well one uh, question that uh, I don't believe... I think, obviously, uh, I'm uh, sorry, I think it should sorry. work. It could, it could yeah. work. Yes. Yeah, if you, if you develop be, the world... And nice. it, could be, it could be massively successful. But it, of course, depend, you know, uh, depends on how the rest of uh, um, the, the, world the experience is, is, is designed. There's actually a game uh, uh, like that. Uh, I think it's Onward. Onward has little to no fast travel. And actually, the, 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 the travel is um, how far you make it. And your progression is, is, is basically ge geographical. That, that's how you measure uh, your, your progression. And it's it it, it, it had a, a small uh, a, a small success, but but it's it was really an interesting uh, take on the open world uh, experience actually because it completely change changes the way uh, you interact with your environment and and the way you you uh, you behave yourself in 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 this world because because of that. 
but that's that's the trick though is that that was a conscious decision of them like to make it a uh like to lean into that difference i think it's the entire point of the game yes yes yeah exactly i mean the entire experience is built around that core principle and that's how you want uh, that's how you make it actually yeah, exactly. Exactly. Is, like, like, yeah. like, I think, I think, um, Adam, you're correct in that. If you just make an open world game without fast travel these days, and you don't think about it because you didn't learn those lessons, yeah, it's going to be a terrible experience, and everyone will hate you. But you're, like, Olivia, you're pointing out the other joy of working the games industry, which is that you can say, actually, we're going to do one with no fast travel, and we're going to make it amazing because we're going to do this eyes open and make an experience that's all about how there is no fast travel. Yes, do the uh, onward approach, not the uh, the anthem approach uh, when developing that type of game. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, but I, I know um, Thorsten uh, over from uh, Eni- uh, Square Enix couldn't make it for uh, this episode uh, today, but he did send a question in uh, as well, which was more around the uh, the importance of um, you know innovation or pure quality. Uh, and if, the second point of that question was around you know was there any uh, particular carbon copy of another game that you uh, stood out to you or that you loved? Uh, and I can open the floor to anyone on that one. Oh, good. Yes, so many games. Uh, I'm a huge Battle Royale player, uh, and I've spent, I've, I've sunk way too much time in, in, into, uh, Warzone and Warzone has really very little innovation to, 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 to the BR genre. And yet, and yet, uh, it is such a, a, a it was such a joy, uh, uh, to, 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 to play it. It was very, very, very well done and very, very well refined. But and it didn't even, uh, it wasn't even looking, uh, it wasn't even making any excuse about it, right? Mm-hmm. But the whole experience was 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 simply uh, uh, superb. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll I'll jump in on, on mine because I know it's quite hard to think of some carbon copies that were very good. Um, I think for me, back in the, the days of uh, Xbox 360, before Minecraft uh, joined there, Castle Miners, uh, which is a direct carbon copy of that game. Uh, but I actually really enjoyed it. It's a kind of twist, but you know, copying take uh, on Minecraft there uh, as well. I'll say like... like... <laughs> Again, it probably isn't surprising considering the thread I've been stringing throughout these these answers. But no, it's always about quality. Like you know, quality, pure quality is wins every time over innovation. You know, period, full stop. Like innovation can be like a force multiplier. It can like you know take you perhaps like one super innovative, interesting feature can take you further than uh, several like individual uh, taking on their own quality polished elements. But overall, pound for pound, quality will get you across the finish line. And, you know, in terms of like um, good examples of this, I'll go way back and I'll talk about uh, the classic adventure games from Sierra and LucasArts. Gameplay wise, they're all carbon copies of each other. You know, like especially when you get back to like the text parser days and the, Kings, the original King's Quest and Police Quest. But they were all very different and enjoyable because like that wasn't the point. Like it was, they had different puzzles, different narratives, different characters. And despite the gameplay being carbon copies, uh, that was to its strength because that created a common language of gameplay you'd take from one game to another. And so it was basically trying to say, again, it's like just X plus Y. Give me King's Quest, but you're a police officer. Give me King's Quest, but you're a janitor in space. And it's comedy. Yeah. And, like, that That is, again, glorious to me how so many different franchises with tremendous like success and variety could be spun out of something so very simple and uh, fundamentally the same. Yeah. I think this is a really good example because it illustrates how you, you should know what to copy because, you know, no, nobody plays King's Quest for the gameplay. They play it for the story uh, you know, or maybe for the puzzles. So, you know, if you make a game that's like a carbon copy of the story of King Quest, but you make the gameplay a jump and run platforming, then it's probably gonna it's probably gonna suck because you know people play that for the for yeah, the story, exactly. not for the gameplay. Um, I wanted to um, so for me those 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 other Sierra adventure games they're not carbon copies because the thing that they copied is like you know it's like our game copying the menu system of another game because that's kind of like it's not like the point of the game. Um, but uh, what I wanted to say is um, there, there were a couple of things. Um, the original thing was about um, um, a game that's carbon copy that, that I enjoyed. It's not exactly a carbon copy, but it's very, very similar. It's, a, it's relatively recent uh, Wargroove. 
uh, came up a couple of years ago. That's very much uh, a new Advanced Wars uh, game with, you know, like slightly different instead of uh, little soldiers. It's in uh, you have dogs uh, and like, you know, like swords and, and whatever. And it's great. It, I played a lot of Borgu. I, I uh, even though I knew, yeah, this is Advanced Wars, but I love Advanced Wars and I'm not, I don't currently have like a Nintendo uh, system uh, to play one on. And there hasn't been like a new main series Advanced Wars when that came out like for a few years already. Uh, so for me, that was great. Even though it was, I, I knew very quick, quickly from the very beginning that it was, it was very close to being, you know, an advanced war uh, clone or copy. Uh, you know, and I'll tell you one more. You know, I'll say that I bet that because you had played advanced wars, you enjoyed Wargroove even more than if you hadn't. Yeah, because I didn't have to learn it. I didn't have to go through a tedious tutorial. Exactly. Uh, yeah. uh, the, and the second thing I wanted to say uh, is that I think when you have, you know, uh, uh, Activision Blizzard's uh, marketing muscle, then you can make, you know, like the the most polished uh, MMO EverQuest thing, but in the Warcraft universe. But as a as a as a, a scruffy indie. That doesn't have all these millions uh, of um, all, all these millions in 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 being able to advertise your game and get the word out. I think having uh, innovation, or at least you know the important bit of innovation, uh, is uh, is really important because otherwise it's really really uh, easy to just get lost in all the flood of yes. games that yes. gets released. And you know if I'm making like. I don't know, the most polished uh, run and jump platformer in the world, but there's nothing really new about it, then, you know, probably the, the five people who will play it will love it, but I, I will not be able to get the word out because I, I don't have, you know, I don't have a way to, as a, as a, as a, as a poor indie, I don't have a, a way to get the word out if I cannot give you like a, an elevator to pitch of like, oh, this is really innovative because of this. It's just like, it's a really well-made uh, Mario-style game, Yeah. Not going to sell it to anybody. Your, your difference cool. is your identity in this case. Nice. But is, is there any, any extra points anyone wants to uh, throw in there then? I'm just conscious of a little bit of time. Uh, is there any extra points anyone wants to make? No? All right. So then, no. Well, in that case, I, I've actually really enjoyed uh, the conversation, all the points everyone's uh, brought to the discussion. Or, and uh, there's a few games I've had to uh, open tabs on uh, on my Chrome browser to uh, check out after the uh, the podcast as well. So thank you for those uh, recommendations and shout outs there. Um, everyone listening at home, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And if you'd like to get involved with an upcoming podcast as well, then reach out to me on LinkedIn or by my very long email of adam.miller-betridge at evolutionnordics.com. See you next time.